We've got some things that, uh, something that I believe the Lord's put on my heart that I want to talk with you about for a couple of weeks before we dive into the book of Acts. And so our opening series for this year is called All In. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. And um, before we dive into that, let me, let me pray for us. And we do thank you, Lord God Almighty, for the opportunity that we have to live to live another year, perhaps, if you should uh, will, to live this day. Lord, I pray that uh, we would all be reminded that every single day is a gift from your hand. And Lord, truly, you are gracious to us. Truly, we are receiving more from your hand than we deserve. And we thank you for Jesus and the grace that you've shown us in Christ. Lord, I believe that you've put this uh, on my heart for tonight, and I pray that uh, you would help me to speak your truth uh, with power and precision, and uh, I yield myself to you now in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, I do pray that uh, 2017 is your best year ever. How many of you would like to have a better year in 2017 than you had in 2016? I mean, all of us, right? <laughs> even if it was a great year. And uh, our, our opening series for this year was designed with that very thing in mind, inspiring you to put yourself in a place where you're thriving. Thriving, not just surviving, but thriving in every way, and especially in your walk with Christ, especially in your spiritual life. Let me tell you a little story. For many years, the... Uh, tall skyscraper located downtown at 180 East Broad Street in Columbus was known as the Borden Building. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The, Bo the Borden Building. It was a landmark in our city for many years. I remember when we took a field trip up here in the early 80s to check out Columbus, they took us by the Borden Building because it was uh, well-known, a landmark. A few years back, I think it was sold to new owners, and now it goes by a different name, but the Borden name graced that building for many, many years, and uh, it's been a prominent name in our country for nearly 150 years. The Bordens built their family business, their very successful family business, mostly on their line of dairy products. And if you've been around for a while, you, you maybe sampled some of those. I remember their butter pecan ice cream, which was very, very delicious. And uh, made them very successful, and with great success came great wealth and great notoriety for the family. One of the early Bordens was named William, and to me, the story of William Borden is very inspiring, and I want to share it with you. In 1904, William Borden graduated from a Christ uh, Chicago high school at the ripe young age of 16. As heir to the Borden family fortune, he was already wealthy beyond most people's wildest dreams. And for his high school graduation present, his parents gave him a trip around the world. And as the young man William traveled throughout Asia and the Middle East and Europe, he began to feel a burden, a burden for the hurting people of the world, and a burden that only grew throughout the trip. Eventually, it became so consuming that William Borden made a decision, a decision about his future, a decision about what he was going to do with his life, and he wrote a letter to his family, and he shared with them his intense desire to become a missionary. Well, as you can imagine, his family and friends were a little bit mystified. A missionary? 
What about the family business? What about the prospect of all this prestige and lifetime financial security that would come with heading up the business? Expressing the sentiments of many who were perplexed by his decision, one friend commented that Bill was just throwing his life away, foolishly forfeiting the fortune that was set to be his. He caught wind of all of that, but it only served to strengthen his resolve to give up everything, if need be, to fulfill the calling that he sensed on his life. And one day he picked up his Bible and he penned two words in the flyleaf of his Bible, these two words, no reserves. Borden arrived on the campus of Yale University in 1905, trying to look like just any other freshman. Very quickly, however, Borden's classmates noticed something unusual about him, and it wasn't that he had lots of money. One of them wrote this, Bill came to college far ahead spiritually of any of us. He'd already given his heart in full surrender to Christ, and that was evident that he'd really done it. We who were his classmates learned to lean on him and find in him a strength that was as solid as a rock just because of this settled purpose and consecration. During his first semester at Yale, Borden started something that would end up transforming the life, student life on that campus. One of his friends described it. He said it was well into the first term when Bill and I began to get together in the morning before class and even before breakfast and pray together. We'd been meeting only a short time when a third student joined us and soon thereafter a fourth student. This growing morning prayer group gave birth to a movement on campus that soon spread all across the campus. By the end of his first year, 150 freshmen were meeting weekly for Bible study and prayer. And by the time Bill Borden was a senior, a thousand of Yale's 1,300 students, 80% of the student body, was meeting regularly in such prayer groups. William Borden and his band of Jesus followers began to go out into the community there and find people who were downtrodden and hurting and outcasts. They opened up the Yale Hope Mission to minister to those folks. And often they shared the gospel with them and urged them to consider Christ while they were meeting their physical needs for food and for shelter. Bill was known to not shy away from anybody. He was willing to go after the lowest of the low and to care for them as he would care for anybody. During his time at Yale, Borden got even clearer on what he sensed God was calling him to do with the remainder of his life, and he narrowed his missionary aim to the Muslim people, the Kansu Muslim people who lived in China, a people group there. And once, he, once he fixed his eyes on that goal, he never wavered. He also challenged his classmates to consider giving their lives to God as well, and even becoming missionaries as he was. One of his classmates said this of him, Bill Borden certainly was one of the strongest characters I have ever known. He put backbone into the rest of us at college. There was real iron in him. And I always felt he was of the stuff that martyrs are made of. Upon graduating from Yale, Borden surprised many people by turning down some high-paying job offers so he could pursue further training for ministry. Some people were even angry. His father had been the one who had reacted most strongly, telling his son in no uncertain terms that he would never again allow him to work in the family business. Again, writing in his Bible, a disheartened but committed Bill Borden added a second resolution, no reserves and now no retreats. 
no retreats. He went on to do graduate work at Princeton Seminary in New Jersey, and when he finished his studies there, he got his things together and he set sail for China. Because he was hoping to work with Muslims, he had first planned to spend a a season in Egypt, in Cairo, in order to learn the language, the Arabic language. However, in a drastic turn of events, while in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis. And uh, his health declined rapidly, and within a month, 25-year-old William Borden was dead. When the news of this was cabled back to the United States, the story was carried by nearly every American newspaper. Many decried the loss of such a promising young life with so much to live for, and now seemingly thrown away, and for what? Many who heard about it shook their heads in pity and thought, what a waste. Eventually, his Bible was located, and it was given to his mother. And one day, she thumbed through its pages, and she found one last entry, apparently penned just before her son's death. Right beneath, no reserves and no retreats, barely legible, Apparently on his deathbed, the young man had weakly scrawled a final word, no regrets. The epitaph on William Whiting Borden's tombstone sums up his life so well. It says this. Here's the inscription. A man in Christ, he arose and forsook all and followed him. Kindly affectioned with brotherly love, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation, instant in prayer, communicating to the necessity of the saints in honor, preferring other people. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. William Whiting Borden, 1887-1913. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Leave it to a 20-something to sum up what it really means to follow Christ so succinctly. I don't know about you, but, but stories like the story of William Borden are inspiring to me. They really are. I think I'm so moved by these kinds of stories because a life like his reflects a life that was all in with Jesus Christ. All in. And that's what I want to be. That's what I want to be. That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for this church. That's what I desire for each and every one of you. This concept of being all in with Christ isn't just inspired by William Borden. When I think about how Jesus Christ himself went about calling people to follow him, I get the same sense. Listen to how Jesus framed things when he was first forming his band of followers. This is from Mark chapter 8. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world And forfeit his soul. Luke 9. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, 
Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, lose your life for my sake and for the cause of the gospel. Let go of the world, but gain your own soul. Follow me even if you must give up creature comforts in order to do so. Don't let anything stop you from going and proclaiming the kingdom of God. Keep your hand to the plow in following me no matter what happens. Man, if I didn't know better, I would think that Jesus believed that he and his cause were worth being all in for, worth living for and worth dying for. And I do know better. He does believe that. He does. You know what's most convicting about this for me? It's that this mindset, this sold-out, all-in mindset, is probably more prevalent in Muslim terrorists than it is in me. Every time I hear of yet another follower of Allah blowing himself up for what he believes to be a noble cause, my anger at that is mixed with a tinge of shame. Because I know I'm not nearly as devoted to my cause as he was to his. And I have the truth. And I know the truth. All in with Christ. Nothing held back in reserve. No retreating back to the old life, to self-centered, self-focused living, even though other people don't understand. And in the end, no regrets, no matter what the cost. Is that challenging to you? Well, I got to thinking about this and uh, about me and my life and about us as a church, and my imagination started to run wild a little bit. My sanctified imagination started to, to kind of go out of control. What would it be like, I thought? What, what could it be like if everybody who called New Life Church their church home was all in? with Christ. If everybody who says new life is my church was fully surrendered to Jesus Christ, if all of us were all in. I mean a pastor can dream a little bit, right? I mean Jesus was all in for us. Doesn't it just make sense in response that we would be all in for him? I got to thinking about us here at, at New Life Gehanna. We're a multi-site church. We have several campuses, but I got to thinking about us here. What could happen in and through New Life Gehanna, us, if each and every one of us was all in with Christ, completely sold out to Jesus? When I think about that, it boggles my mind, and it gets me excited. You know, uh, last weekend, after all the offerings 
that were given that last week of 2016, after they were all totaled up and counted up, you know what? As best we know, last week set a new record for giving at New Life Church. You can look at the back of your worship folder and see the total. Because so many of you gave so generously, we were able to completely wipe out our accumulated budget deficit so far this fiscal year and do it in one week. And I mentioned that to Pastor Brian, and he said, you know what, that is the potential that this church has if everyone was all in. And it's not really about money. I know like Pastor Jay said last week, when you start talking about money, people get funny. It's not really about money, though, is it? Money's just a tool for accomplishing ministry. Financial giving to God's work translates into gospel ministry, which translates into changed lives and changed eternities. That's what gets me excited. It means children get taught the Word of God, lost people get to hear the good news, missionaries can continue to reach lost people, new believers get discipled, Marriages get strengthened. Outreaches into our city continue to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. A couple weeks ago, I was having lunch and talking with the young pastor down at New Life OSU. If you're newer around here, you may not know that we have a daughter church that we helped to start 12 years ago down at the Ohio State University campus. And um, I was talking with Pastor Andy, and he was telling me that after the knife attack down there, that kind of rattled everybody. Remember that that incident? The next night, he and his team went out on High Street with a blow-up couch. I didn't know there was such a thing. A blow-up couch and a bunch of packets of hot chocolate, and they basically set up a little makeshift conversation pod right there on the sidewalk on High Street so that as worried, anxious, troubled students came by, they could just plop down on this couch, grab a cup of hot chocolate, and talk with some Christian students about what God might have to say about everything that was going on, and how troubled hearts can find peace in God. Isn't that cool? (laughs) I just loved hearing about that. And it's, it's our giving financially that helps that happen. Did you know that? We support that work. What could happen if if all of us here went all in with Christ and went all in with His gospel? What could happen? Do you think more people would be saved and baptized through this church than were last year? I do. Would more people step up to be equipped for ministry? Would more of you say, put me in, coach, put me in the game. (laughs) I'm ready. I'm all in. Where, Where are the needs? Where can I serve? How can I help? I believe so. We recently started a new ministry. Uh, it's, it's a welcoming ministry to new residents of Gehanna. Brenda Donaldson and my wife are uh, helping to coordinate this effort. It's once a month. What happens is, is that a bunch of wonderful New Life ladies, and probably some men, I'm not even sure, uh, take their best recipe, their most delicious recipe for cookies, bake a bunch of cookies, bring them over to the church. We box them up real nice. And then we deliver them to all of the new residents within a certain radius of this church. So people who are moving in, in and around this church. And what we do is we, we're unannounced. We go up to their door 
And we say, hi, I'm Steve from New Life, and I understand that somebody new moved in here recently? Yeah. Well, listen, a bunch of people in our church bake these cookies, and they're for you. And so I'm just offering them to you. Welcome to our community. Glad that you're here. It's a great place to live. If you ever need a church home, we're right up the road. God bless you. It is so fun. <laughs> people don't know what to do. You know, they're not sure if they're supposed to give you money or what. You know, it's like, no, no, this is just, just our way of saying welcome to Gehanna. This last month, a couple of our young uh, Catalyst gals, um, Emily and Hannah, uh, did some delivery for us. And, and Emily emailed me that night, and she said, hey, we had this one visit. It was so great. There was this young gal who just moved here to Gehanna, and we show up at her door with cookies. And she said, oh, my. She said, I think this is a sign from God. My father just died two days ago. And I've been reaching out to God. I've been asking God to, to, to send me people, to show me a sign. And here you are. She invited our two gals into the house. They got to sit down and share the Lord with her. They prayed over her. And uh, were able to invite her to church. And uh, Emily was so excited about that opportunity. And I thought, man, that is really cool, isn't it? I love that. Some people are just blown away by a simple act of kindness. I don't know if you saw it, but on the Take Back Gehanna Facebook page last month, there were people on that page raving about getting cookies from us. It was the coolest thing. Great new ministry opportunity. We need a few more people who would like to do that once a month on a Sunday evening. Go out and deliver cookies to new residents of Gehanna. If you'd like to do that, you can just write a little note on the back of your card, and we'll get you some information about that. But what could happen if everybody here in our congregation was all in? was just offering themselves for whatever is needed to bless the body or bless our community. You should see all the emails I get from people whose lives have been touched by this church. It's so encouraging. People who had given up on God, people who had lost faith in church. You know, there's a lot of people like that. They're like, you know, I've never lost faith in God. I've just kind of given up on the church people whose hope was fading, people who were about to chuck it all until they came into contact with a new lifer who was the real deal. And, and it started to turn around for them. Or who experienced the ministry of this church or who showed up on a weekend for worship and felt the presence of God here. Or like a lady that I talked with just this week who said that after going through a painful divorce that was crushing, her hope was restored when she got into a small group here and got loved on and cared for and prayed over. And she said, this small group is just awesome. She said, if it weren't for them, I don't know that I would have survived this divorce. I ask you, what impact would it have if all of us were all in for Christ and His cause and His church? What could that be like? What would our worship gatherings here be like if, if each of us came in every week eagerly anticipating meeting with God in worship? Got here on time, got here early, had our, our hearts and minds prepared for what we were about to experience with one another. I ask you, how might our workplaces be different if every one of us, as we fanned out into Columbus on Monday morning, saw ourselves as ambassadors for Christ? Sent into the world to spread the love and the truth of Christ or, or onto your campus if you're a student. What would that be like? 
How might things be different in Gehenna? How might the spiritual climate be changed in Columbus if all of us were all in? I like thinking about that. Then I think, how would things be different down the road in Whitehall if the same was true of everybody in our congregation in Whitehall? Now, if you're newer around here, maybe you didn't realize we have another campus just uh, 15, 20 minutes down the road. And and I want to remind you that, that it was God who orchestrated all of that in the first place. God did that. It was God who led our elder team to start praying for Whitehall several years ago, to start to pray for that community, pray for God to his leading of us. We believe it was God in answer to our prayers who prompted us to start making plans to open up a New Life campus there. It was God who brought us together with the wonderful people of East Baptist Church and led us to combine our energies together for the good of the gospel in that community. It was God who orchestrated things. I mean, the, the leadership of that church there, and it was kind of a declining congregation. They had a building on prime space, and they said, we've been praying for God to bring us new life. And we're like, here we are. We got a pastor. We got people. Let's do this. And, and, and God orchestrated things so that we were able to acquire that property and that building for the exorbitant cost of one dollar. One dollar. Less than a candy bar. It's amazing. New Life Whitehall has been a God thing all along, but, but what would happen if everybody in Whitehall caught this vision of, of getting their hearts in such a state as to be fully surrendered to Christ, all in? What would that be like? What more could happen there? Would there be more Jeremy's? I preached there about a month ago, and sitting on the front row was a young guy named Jeremy. And uh, he came up to me afterwards, and we got to talking. And and Jeremy is a a young guy with a past. I'll say, uh, I'll use the term, a colorful past. He's got a lot of mileage on him. You know what I'm talking about? He's lived like three lifetimes already, and uh, things have taken their toll on him. But through the ministry of that church, Jeremy has recently come to know Christ. He got baptized a couple months ago. Pastor Claude said, as Jeremy came up out of the water, he's like, yes! And the whole place just went, yes! And everybody went crazy. And you know Claude, he's just that way, right? And uh, he said, Steve, it was just so wonderful. God brought us to Whitehall to reach the Jeremys of this world with the good news of the love of Christ. Wow, would there be more Jeremy's reach for Christ if everybody was all in? Pastor Claude there in Whitehall has been challenging that congregation to pray that God would use them to impact 3% of the the population of the city for Christ. He read it in a book somewhere or something. I I think it was that 3% of the population of the colonies was part of the the, um, Continental Army in the Revolutionary War. So go figure He's been praying for 3%, that's 540 people that God would save and bring to New Life Whitehall, 3% of the population, 540 people. He's got his congregation there juiced about praying for that and preparing and making room for that. Now, they have pews over there in Whitehall, so that would be close fellowship, you know, like scrunched in together in there if that happens. Could God do that? Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
Wouldn't that be exciting to be busting at the seams with new people who want to know Jesus more? Did you know that New Life Whitehall now has a fantastic choir, now has two worship teams, a wonderful children's ministry team teaching the gospel to the little children? They've made a connection with Victory Mission. Victory Mission has relocated to Whitehall. They have a brand new facility down there on Main Street in Whitehall, and we're connecting with them to reach out and minister the grace of God to the needy families and single adults and single parents and teens in Whitehall who find themselves in difficult circumstances. What would happen if everybody who calls New Life Whitehall their church home became so captivated by Christ that they came up to Pastor Claude and said, put me in, coach. <laughs> There's all these opportunities now. I, I, I'm all in with Christ. Just, just put me in. Where could I serve God's people the best? Where could I serve God's cause the best? How about this? What would happen if everybody was all in for our next campus that we're calling New Life East? What would that be like? Now, I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm kind of eccentric. I think about things differently than a lot of people. But when I think about Jesus' call to love our neighbors, I mean, he did say that, Right? When I think of a church loving its neighbors, to me, the absolute best way we can love our neighbors is to plop a brand new congregation of Jesus-loving people right in their midst. Just right there. So many good things come to a community by having a congregation of Jesus-loving people right in their midst. So many good things. We've seen that firsthand. And I want to tell you something, it's happening again and God's doing it. We've seen both here and in Whitehall what it means for a congregation to have a, a, um, a base of operations, a place, a facility, a building that, that serves as kind of a, an outpost, a gospel outpost in that community, an accessible place where people and their kids can come and worship and learn about Christ and then a place from which to be sent out to minister just as we did in Whitehall, we've been praying and looking for that kind of space out east, out in Patasco, Blacklick, Reynoldsburg area. We've been looking for quite a while, and honestly, we didn't have much success until recently. Some of you know that one of our ushers just passed away a few weeks ago. Ron Heft served as a, an usher at that door at our 11 a.m. Sunday celebration. We had a memorial service here, and I got to tell his family and friends who were gathered in our prayer chapel how just prior to his passing, God used Ron to open a door for us to continue to spread the gospel. You see, back in September, Pastor Brian and the, and the team, the leadership team that's forming, hosted a picnic at Hannah Park, kind of an informational gathering for any of you and others who are interested in learning more about New Life East. And Ron attended that event. Now, Ron doesn't live out that way. We surmise that he just liked chicken and potato salad and green bean casserole and decided, you know, hey, they're offering that. I'll show up. He heard our little talk that we gave about what's, you know, what we're hoping to see God do out east. And he just happened to mention that he had heard that the Harley-Davidson facility way out on East Broad might be coming available at some point that we ought to check it out. How many of you know where I'm talking about? Okay. 
And so at Ron's prompting, we did some initial checking on this thing, and what we found out is that the owner intended to relocate that dealership to a new facility that he wants to build out by 70 and 310, and that he was indeed interested in talking with us about his East Broad Street property. Now, if you've seen it, it's 10 acres with a beautiful building on it. It's full of Harley-Davidson motorcycles at the moment. Tons of parking. I'm not sure there's a better location that we could be at if we want high visibility out there. Tens of thousands of cars go by it every day, especially now that Amazon is out that way. New neighborhoods have been popping up all around that building with people who need Jesus. Many young families, children need Christ. We have about 80 of our own New Life families who live out that way. And I just love the prospect of being able to look at those folks, New Lifers who live out in Pataskala and Blacklick and Reynoldsburg, and, and looking at them and saying, guess what, your church is coming your way so that we can help reach your neighbors for Christ. And your friends. Well, the nine elders who oversee this church, nine elders who are our governing board, our team, came together and met and we prayed about this. And we felt that we should pursue it even more. So we corresponded with the owner of that building and he was of such a mind that he was interested in not only selling us the property, but in giving the church a huge charitable donation, like the largest gift ever given to New Life Church by far. Effectively, it would allow us to purchase the building and the property at a 30% discount. Do you realize how unusual that is? Do you understand what that kind of savings could mean? But here's the kicker. The owner told us he wanted to claim his charitable tax deduction for 2016. He, his advisors were telling him that the, the, the new president is going to come in and is going to lower tax rates for small businesses. And so to be assured of getting the most benefit from this tax deduction, he needed it to happen before December 31st. And I said, yikes, it's already December. <laughs> Like, we're in December. Like, this December? Yeah, this December. And so I started praying, Lord, if this is from you, you're going to have to make this happen. We don't want to rush in on this thing and, and, and run ahead of you, God. But neither do we want to miss out on an opportunity that you're opening up just because there's a deadline and we're going to need to work. And so we prayed and our elders discussed it. We met. We went over on December 4th. We walked through the building. And everyone who walked through without exception said, you know what, this place could suit our purposes really well for New Life East. Then we held an informational meeting right here for our ministry partners and anybody who wanted to show up to let you know about this door that the Lord seemed to be opening and give you the information and ask you to pray. We also knew that a transaction of, of this magnitude would need to be voted on by our membership, right? But there wasn't enough time <laughs> to pull that off on short notice. So we told the owner that we were interested, but we needed time to perform our due diligence on the property and to inform our people and give them a chance to vote on it. So here's what happened. On December 30th, it's like the 11th hour, right? 
we entered into a contractual agreement with the seller, the owner, in which we acquired sufficient ownership rights to enable him to legally claim his large tax deduction for his gift to us for the year 2016, but we have until March 15th to either complete this transaction or reverse it. If we want to get out of it for any reason by that date, if the inspections come back and there's something that bothers us, if we're not able to get sufficient financing to pull it off, if Pastor Brian wakes up with a headache, it doesn't matter what the reason is, if the congregation votes it down, then we can get out of it. Basically by the seller agreeing to buy it back. It's that simple. So everybody's conditions were met. We're going to hold a, a member meeting prior to that deadline when we have all the information in hand that we need and then we'll have a congregational vote and make the final decision about it. I don't know how you think, but in matters like this, I'm always looking for evidence that God's in it. I'm always looking for evidence of the fingerprints of God. And we have some history with the Lord now, right? We've seen how God works. And, and so all of us on our elder team and in our leadership, we're, we're, we're asking those questions. Where, you know, does this seem to be of the Lord? Because if God's in it, I want to go for it. And if God's not in it, I'm out. <laughs> When we sat down and talked about this from every angle, the elders did, it very much felt to us like, you know, this, is, this seems to be a God thing. It really does. We think the Lord's leading us to open up a new campus out east to reach seeking people with the gospel, to train them in the gospel, and then send them out for the gospel, which is what we're all about around here. Seems to us like God is providing us with a prime location from which to do that. If the ministry partners of New Life decide to go through with this, the seller would lease the facility back from us for a period of time while he builds his new building, his new dealership, out further east on 70 and 310. And that's fine with us because we're not ready to launch New Life East today. <laughs> so we're okay with that. The net effect is that we would own it, but we would have all the expenses during this interim period paid by the tenant. I really like that, don't you? Then at some point, the Harley-Davidson operation would move out, hopefully leave a couple fat boys behind in the little room there. Wouldn't mind that at all. Then we would do some renovation and move in. If the timing gets extended out with, with his building project out east and, and we feel like we need to launch earlier than that, then we believe we can get into a school or get into another facility for a while to get started and then migrate over when, when that all happens. Honestly, from a purely like, human, practical standpoint, it was hard to think of reasons not to do this. As one of our elders said in one of our discussions, why would we not do this? It just seems to be orchestrated in so many ways to favor us. I wanted you to know all that because we're all in this together. We're all in this together. It's going to take as many of us as possible being all in 
if this next phase of extending the gospel to more communities is going to happen in a healthy and God-honoring way, and by that I mean not only starting a new work out there, but staying healthy and strong here and healthy and strong in Whitehall. Does that make sense? I mean, we wouldn't want to do that and gut our ministry here, you know, and sit around out there talking about the good old days in Gehanna when there was a church there. That's not what we want. All of us were all in. That could happen so easily. Three strong, thriving, growing campuses, new people being reached with the gospel, believers stepping up, being discipled, serving. It could happen if all of us were all in. Easily. Now, that's all on a larger scale, right? That's all on kind of a macro scale. Let me narrow the focus of this down a little bit. Let me ask you this. What might happen in our families if we were all in with Christ? How about that? How might things be a little bit different at home? Would there be fewer spells of arguing and destructive fighting, do you think, if dad and mom were both all in with Christ? Would there be fewer angry outbursts? Would spouses hang in there more with each other during difficult times? Would we team up more and, and try to work things out and speak differently to each other? Would there be more serving each other and putting others ahead of ourselves if we were all in with Christ, do you think? Would our children see us praying more together and seeking God more together? Would they be more impacted, perhaps, all of us were all in with Christ. How would it show up at home? Would it, would it be different? Would the climate be different around the house? Well, let's narrow it a little bit more. What would, what would happen in your own life if you went all in with Christ? If you were fully surrendered? Fully, I'm talking. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. All in with Christ. Would your life be different? Would you see the Lord use you more in other people's lives? I would think so. How about that habit, that nagging habit that plagues you every day that you just can't seem to shake? Is it possible that if you fully surrendered your whole life to Jesus, that, that, that the grip that that habit has on you might be loosened a little bit? Wouldn't that be awesome? Would you experience a little more freedom? Would your coworkers that see you every day, would they start to notice a little bit of difference like in a guy that I was talking to recently who attends here and he says my my co-workers are seeing I'm changing and it's showing up at work might some conversations open up there that have a spiritual tint to them might you be entrusted perhaps with the opportunity to lead a friend to Christ wouldn't that be awesome if you were all in with Jesus what could happen if all of us were all in with Christ, it's so fun for me to think about that and envision what that could be like. So now it's time for my sermon. I have three points, and they're really short. Number one, it's a great time to decide to be all in. What's today? December 7th? <laughs> December. December's gone. January 7th, right? The front end of a brand new year. Don't you love it? It's a new year. There's this built-in annual reset. And aside from just 
you know, resolving to lose weight this year, exercise more, all good things. Treat your kids better. Be more attentive to your spouse. What about Jesus? <laughs> Take me. I, I'm yours. Aside from that, it just feels like a new era in our country, doesn't it? I mean, it's just like a new season. It just feels like that to me anyway. It feels new, different. Think about the fact that life is short. You know you're not guaranteed another year. There were people who were with us a year ago who are not here today. They're in eternity. People who sat where you're sitting. Why, why wait? Why say, you know, well, someday I'll give my life fully to Jesus Christ. Well, why wait? How do you know that you'll have Five years, ten years. I want you to know the needs are great. People need the Lord. Everybody needs a church family. Young couples need mentors. Young believers need disciplers. Christ's body needs your gifts, needs your resources, needs your service. Our city is ripe for impact. I hear about it every week. God's sending, sending new church planters and pastors to Columbus. The cause is compelling. You're going to give your life to something. Why not spend your remaining days being sold out to the greatest person and the noblest cause that exists? Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Why not? The opportunities are plenty for discipling others, for going deeper with God, for diving into God's word, for, for establishing some of those holy habits that we talk about, those rhythms of grace, for serving his people, for loving the lost, for blessing needy people, for going on a missions trip. Maybe this will be the year that you'll finally go on a missions trip. You've been thinking about it for years talking about it. You've been saying, you know, someday I'm going to do that. I, you hear the people who get up here and give their report of how their life was impacted from going, and this is the year you're going to go. Why not? Why not now? Why not today? It's a great time to decide to be all in. Point number two, Jesus was all in for us. Amen? Think about that. Our Lord did not give some half-hearted effort to save us. What was required of Jesus to achieve our forgiveness and our salvation was nothing less than total commitment. Literally leaving heaven and laying aside those divine privileges in order to even come here. Then taking on a robe of human flesh, coming as an infant. And then living his life and then laying down his life of his own accord. Wearing our sins, bearing our sins, so that they could be atoned for, so we could live forever with perfect holiness. What a Savior we have. What a Lord we serve. If He did that for us, number three, how can we not be all in for Him? I mean, really, think about it. Paul called it our reasonable service, didn't he? He said, get up on the altar, offer yourself to God. It's your reasonable service in light of all that he has done for us. During his time at Yale, William Borden made an entry in his journal. 
pretty much defined the challenge that he gave himself every day. It's what his classmates saw in him there as a young man. It's what drove him to lay aside so much of what this world seemed to be offering him and give himself away for others. That journal entry read simply like this. Say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. And so... As we begin this all-in journey together at the outset of a brand new year, I simply ask you to ponder this question. What is Jesus, what is Jesus calling you to say yes to in response to him saying yes to the cross for you? What is he calling you to say yes to? See, the first step towards being all in is determining whose voice you're going to listen to, whose call you're going to respond to. I'll say it again. Jesus was all in for us. How can we not be all in for him? Think about that, will you? Think about that. Give that some serious thought, and we'll explore it even further next weekend. And so, Lord Jesus, in this moment, when we've been presented with this challenge, we heard the call that you made to people as they contemplated following you, and we we saw what you called them to. We've learned about one particular example of someone who tried to yield everything to you. We've envisioned a little bit of what it could feel like, what it could look like, what could happen, what good could be done in our city, what lives could be changed and transformed if, if all of us were indeed all in with you. And so I pray that you, through your spirit, would impress this upon the hearts of your people here tonight. Impress it upon their hearts. Show us, Lord, what's holding us back. What is it that we're refusing to let go of, that, that we're fearful to lose we think anyway, if we gave our lives to you. Give us eyes to see what really matters in this life and in the next. And please, Lord Jesus, take us where you want us to go. May we not lag behind you. May we not run ahead of you. May we not veer to the left or to the right, but may we keep in step with your Holy Spirit in our lives and as a church. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.